1: listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. L H S is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ K5TUX, Cheryl W5MOO, and Bill NE4RD.
0: Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned into episode number 491 of Linux in the Ham Shack. The most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. We thank you for being here. This will be our deep dive episode, so we're glad you joined us for this. And uh, before we get going too far into our deep dive, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Uh, Cheryl is not with us tonight. She's W5MOO. I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. So we're going to do a deep dive that kind of expands on our random topic wheel topic from last time around, which was is amateur radio noob friendly? And uh we gave the political answer of maybe. So (laughs) now it's a possible maybe, yeah. It's a possible (laughs) maybe, right. So what we're gonna do now is give you some resources, I guess, or we're going to attempt to give you some resources that will help make it more noob-friendly. If you're listening to this podcast and you're really new to the hobby, this will probably be most beneficial for you, but maybe there's something that comes along that you didn't think about or you haven't thought about in a long time or or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, hopefully this helps out a little bit, maybe get more interest in the hobby more information about the hobby things along those lines so i guess we'll just kind of roll right into it and uh, bill was the one who was kind enough to to write out our syllabus for tonight so i guess we'll let you kick it (laughs) off and uh i will try and interject in like semi-informative ways as we go along
2: Right. That sounds good. Okay. Nice. So we'll start at the, uh, the beginning as any noob should start out. And that's what we're talking about. Here's noobs and that's licensing. Yes. That's the very first part. Some of you have, uh, you know, got your first license. You know, maybe that's a technician license or maybe you sat for a few exams and got your general, whatever. Um, but, uh, we want to help those that are maybe just got that very first license and, uh, maybe looking for study information or where we can get more information on licensing in general and, of course, uh, some of the resources that we quickly come to mind uh when we put this together was of course the kb6 and you study guides uh the very first one if you're unlicensed uh, the technician guide is a free download uh you can download the pdf and uh, read that to your heart's content uh he has actually has uh dan has uh i believe on youtube even uh, the day crash course uh is up there on youtube so you can even do a course on youtube with dan Uh, where he basically uh, does the live study guide, which is really, really cool. And uh, maybe if you uh, just happen to... Passed your tests for the first time and really don't have a, have a good concept of, uh, the basics that were in the test, but you just happen to go and pass it. You know, <laughs> Cause there are people that do that. Uh, you know, that would be a good, uh, a good, uh, uh, guide to go back on and kind of look at, um, the, you know, the information and the supplemental information to those guides. Uh, is very good. And of course, the class uh, online on YouTube would be a very good information. Uh, the other places you can find information on uh, study guides and and the question pools and the licensing and everything else, of course, is the ARRL. They have a huge list of publications, including uh, question pool uh, books, which is how I learned to, uh, you know, to pass the test because I'm a question pool kind of guy. Um, they also have an exam review. Uh, application that you can check out uh, there's also uh, probably dozens and dozens of ham study tests online and uh, this is where duck duck go or google is your big friend you can actually just google up uh, you know ham radio test exams or uh, <laughs> practice exams. And um, another place I found in that, that search was uh, hamexam.org, which had uh, flashcards, question pools, and practice exams for each test for licensing, which I thought was pretty uh, useful. And uh, Cheryl used a, a practice exam. Wh- which one
0: did she use? Do you remember? She just actually used Dan's study guide, and I don't remember if she actually did did a practice exam. I think she said she did, but I honestly don't remember which one.
2: Yeah, it was probably, you know, again, you can find them linked all over the place. <laughs> Generally, if you can, if you can score about 80% on the the practice ones online pretty, uh, pretty uh, successfully, uh, you can, you can most likely pass your exam easy. So uh, that, that's the key. If you, can, <laughs> if you can pass the practice ones and you can get over the, uh, you know, the white coat syndrome of actually taking a test, uh, getting to that next level is is not much harder than actually just doing it and getting out there. So uh, I think licensing in general, I mean, most people come into the hobby either uh, as a noob, uh, you know, getting their very first license and they don't know what to do. And uh, th- there's always, you know, get the next license. <laughs> this is, is one of those options to go ahead and upgrade because you know, you'll run into uh, those, uh, those people that are like, oh, you're only a technician you need to be a general or oh you're only a general you need to be an extra and um yeah uh there's always the option to go ahead and test for the next test i mean my son has been a ham for uh, i think 11 or 12 years and he's still a technician so and i haven't pressured him to get a new license (laughs) he's still a technician after all this time and uh yeah yeah it's fine to uh to to uh, pressure people to get their upgraded license, but don't pressure them unless you're willing to help them get their license. And, uh, you know, having the right resources to do so, like, the you know, the KB6NU study guides or the ARRL uh, question pool books or, you know, your favorite ham test exam site, those are great resources to really help others uh, in their licensing journey uh, so we can uh, make it more noob friendly for those technicians and generals that we wish to be all extras in the hobby i, I would say anything that, more to add on
1: that
0: oh, yeah i would say that there is a lot of reason if you're getting into the hobby to become a general not just sit as a technician but not quite as much impetus to be extra. Once you get to general, you get a lot of privileges. You can experience most of what the hobby has to offer. And then you only really need that last step if you're if you're just really going to get gung-ho into it. And I did throw in one more uh, resource, Amateur Logics Ham College. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great resource. So if you're getting into it, and that's that's a video resource because it's on YouTube and everything. So it's another another good way. To get ilmered and get licensed, so
2: and again, these kind of get you involved into communities as well, because the amateur logic group is a community on top of that. So you can uh, start to uh, you know meet some new people and in the hobby that are also on the same journey or have been on the same journey uh, as you. Which is always a good thing, you know, cause there's always, you always want to find like-minded people and, and normally you can find them in the same place you are when you're looking for the same resources.
0: So you can also <laughs> use social media platforms like Reddit and Mastodon and Twitter and all the others to communicate with amateur radio operators out of band. So that's another way to get good information, to keep in touch with people in the hobby, and to to get more information to keep you involved, even if you're not specifically doing ham radio things at any given moment.
2: Right, that's more of a the 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 ending thing, the the finding your community thing. <laughs> Okay, fine. but yeah, I get what I get where you're at. I get where you're at, but you know, we're just on licensing right now, so okay. let's uh, let's let's move on.
0: Well, that can help you with getting licensed too, because like you That's can true. ask people those questions, like you know, what's the answer but, to you know question 114 in the question pool, and why. <laughs>
2: But that's also like where you can find those trolls that we talked about. So you got to be careful about just blatantly going out somewhere and asking a question that could be resolved in the top 20 responses of a Google search. So there's there's that as well. And that's going to be part of finding your community, um, which we'll talk about towards the end um but the next section here after licensing is clubs because clubs is kind of finding your community but maybe not and i kind of wanted to just touch briefly on finding finding a club that fits for you so uh and this kind of rides into our next topic which is basically just activities that clubs generally are known for so uh the 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 resource I pointed here is the AWRL's Find a Club. And why does Bill always talk about the ARRL? Oh, it's just so amazing. No, it's not really, but you know, <laughs> you know, it does, uh, the, the club finder on there does catalog all the clubs that have taken the effort to either become a, an AWRL affiliated club, which there are sort of, you know, there's like, you know, check boxes and stuff you have to do to actually get to that point. And they also have to provide information on exactly what they do and what they offer as a club and how they provide that service. So you can kind of at a glance look at clubs in your area that interest you based upon, you know, well, anything if it's in your area, that's one thing. Um, The other way you can search for a club is by its activities. So let's just briefly go over the list of activities I just quickly listed here. Contesting, that's radio sport as well. Contesting, digital modes, DX, public service and emergency, repeaters, school or youth group, UHF, VHF, satellite, portable operations like soda and poda, and RC, remote control, because that's part of the hobby as well um you can actually search by these keywords so you say i oh, yeah i'm kind of interested in uh you know in contesting so you can actually just type in contesting in a keyword and search for clubs that do contesting <laughs> and and the nice part about that is is that normally con well i'm not gonna say normally that's probably bad to use. contest groups not are not always in a specific area so like you might have a contest group Let's say in Montana here, there's not a contest group specifically in Billings, but we have a contest group in the state. So we have a club that is an ARRL affiliated club that does contesting that is encompassing the entire section or state of Montana. We don't, we meet online. It's kind of like a, kind of like an unclub club. Um, and it's a group obviously surrounded a single activity that's important to the group. And it's, you know, that's, that's what interests me. So, uh, you know, if I were looking for a club that, you know, did public service, it surely wouldn't be a club that only did contesting. So you do kind of get these indications, uh, based upon the activities inside the club finder that tells you a little bit about that club. And, uh, what I always do as a step further, depending upon what you're interested in, let's say you're interested in contesting, cause that's the only thing I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> and I only talk about contesting. Um, you can actually take their club's call sign and see if they actually use it when they contest. And that's a, that's a nice litmus test to see if they actually uh, actually use it for contesting.
1: Um,
2: but you, you can find all kinds of stuff in there. And it's really nice. And I have been contacted by them because I am a president of a club as well. And uh, they do try to make sure that the uh, the entries are up to date. They're current. Uh, I believe an affiliated club every year has to report back, um, their membership. So they do keep track of the clubs actually being still there and still active. Uh, so you shouldn't run into many dead ends trying to find a club in that group, but don't be afraid to search for clubs that are not, are not in your area. Uh, the pandemic, uh, opened up, you know, a lot of clubs to online members. Uh, and including, uh, you know, the Sussex Club over in, uh, was that the UK? Because they were doing, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, content for their members on, uh, you know, building things and maker stuff. And, uh, they were surprised that all of a sudden they were getting, you know, quite a few, uh, hams from the US attending their meetings. And that became a regular thing. After, uh, you know, things kind of settled out because they found they found their community, they found what they interest were interested in a club. And I think those are kind of would fall under the other club list is that, you know, the things that interest you, you might find that they are not in your area. But yet you can still participate. Did you, did you want me to elaborate on that?
0: Because I really had
2: nothing to add. I mean, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I was just taking a breath. <laughs> oh, okay, Oh, <good. laughs> I was like, I'm running out of air. I need to uh, stop for a moment.
0: <laughs> and I was waiting for you to see if you wanted to fill something in there. But I will say that with clubs in general, there are local clubs and there are regional and national and international clubs, too. So you don't have to necessarily limit yourself. And I, I know you, you sort of touched on this, but you, you don't have to limit yourself to a local organization because maybe the club in your area is not particularly noob friendly or something like that. But there are definitely clubs that support online activities or, or nationwide communication or international communication or specialize in, uh, tech information or, you know, um, global brotherhood and things like that. So you you definitely want to check out any resource that might be available to you. And of course the search engines on the internet are your friend to, to find these groups. They they may not be, you know, 10 miles down the road, but you'll definitely find like-minded people to, uh, help you on your journey.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to reach out and look around and, uh, See what's out there, because there are a ton, and a lot of them do content on YouTube as well, which you can find. You know, everybody checks out YouTube once in a while, right? You can actually, you can actually search it up and see for uh, for club meetings and stuff like that. Uh, you can find some uh, interesting clubs that are doing uh, things that engage the online community. Um, of course, there are sort of unclub clubs, which should be communities surrounding. Um, you know, podcasts, YouTube channels and whatnot. Again, that might be in your finding community area, but, uh, but if you're looking for a club specifically, you know, a good place to start in the U.S., of course, is that AWRL uh, club finder. Um, and then, and then don't be afraid to search beyond the borders of the U.S uh for a club that maybe uh is doing stuff that you want to do maybe you're doing maker stuff maybe you're doing rc stuff and you know maybe there isn't you know an rc club you know even in the us that you're interested in but there's an rc club over in the uk or you know in france or something like that that does a lot of cool stuff and you know experimental stuff uh you know definitely look look for that look for that club um, and almost all of them accept members from everywhere. <laughs> so, so, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's go on to like radios and stuff like that. I think a lot of people are intimidated by radios and, uh, there's always the meme of the guy that, you know, walks in with his, uh, his Beofang, which I'm holding in my hands right now, uh, and, and says, can I, you know, can I talk around the world
0: on this? <laughs> You know, (laughs) Um, so we have to clarify that once upon a time, the answer to that question was no, (laughs) the answer to that question is no longer no, but we're not going to get into the, the pros and cons and the, and the trials and tribulations of whether talking on a Baofeng connected to the internet is amateur radio. But I was actually going to bring that up as a sort of trailing topic to the, to the activities thing because now, nowadays, even as a technician, you have that option, those digital communication options for communicating with other hams. And that is one way that hams and clubs often attract members and disseminate information is using those technologies. So if you wanted to be a part of a club, an RC club in England, for example, and you live in Wisconsin, it's a lot easier as a entry level ham these days than it used to be.
2: Oh, absolutely! With the uh, DMR, D-Star, Fusion, Wires X, and you know, IRLP, and all these other acronyms, and you know, even even EchoLink and stuff like that. There's there's ways to be connected across the borders with uh, yeah, with your simple little handy talkie. Um, which I'm hitting my, my <laughs> antenna on my microphone because <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 uh, the ways we can connect now with just UHF and VHF is really, is pretty awesome. I think. Um, it does get a little bit more convoluted. I think when you get into digital handhelds because you have various technologies and there may or may not be. Uh, a, a local repeater in which gets you onto that on ramp to using that technology, whether that be DMR, D-Star, what have you. Um, and in that case, you're, you're kind of on your own to use a hotspot, which you use a hotspot, right? You have probably multiple hotspots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have four hotspots in the house.
2: So, <laughs> so, so yeah, that hasn't stopped you from, uh, you know, purchasing hotspots to get everything connected and, and interconnected and stuff like that. So I think, uh, you know, even just getting into the basics of using a radio, which, you know, here I am. Uh, I'm, I've been a ham for almost 30 years and I have a Bay of Fang, So there's nothing wrong with owning a Bay of Fang. <laughs> it's a user for emergency services and, uh, hiking. So that's my purpose for having that radio. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, digital radios. I think, I don't know if those are for basic. What do you think? I mean, I mean they can get you connected to stuff, but there is such a learning curve on using digital radios.
0: Well, there is on some digital radios. I would say that I would not introduce an entry-level ham to DMR right away. The big thing about DMR, it was not originally an amateur radio technology. It was a commercial technology that was translated to ham radio use so it has a different paradigm it has a different way of working that has been made to be used in amateur radio and i think that's where the steep learning curve comes with that but digital radio technologies that were made for ham radio are a little easier to get into however anytime you want to get into a radio that uses these technologies the price automatically goes way up so (laughs) (laughs) So unless you're gonna use your your with, you know, a hotspot, you know, presuming you can find a hotspot these days or a or a Raspberry Pi to build one on, you know, you're still gonna be outlaying a hundred or one hundred and fifty dollars all in. And by that time you're you're actually getting into the territory where you could buy a lower end digital ready handy talkie. So I don't know. I I would I would love to steer people towards slightly more expensive radios but I know that's not possible in every case for sure. Um so yes, there's no problem in owning a Baofeng. I own one, two, several. You, you own several. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually have three here at the house. <laughs> I I even made a hotspot out of one. So Oh,
2: nice. Awesome.
0: So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure where you were like where we were gonna go down this radio road. Um not too complicated. No, okay. That's the
2: thing. Yeah, I don't wanna go I mean, yeah, I would say if we have we have three categories here. You got the starter, intermediate, and advanced. And we know every starter ham starts with a, a handy talkie generally. <laughs> G-
0: generally because that's the lowest price option. The the other yeah. option would might be a low priced or a used mobile unit. Mobile yeah. unit. Yeah, for sure. And it, you know, as long as you have a twelve volt power supply and you know, maybe you could pick up a, a used mobile rig for fifty, hundred bucks, something like that. I mean, the, the advantage to that is you get more power output. Um, that might help you reach local repeaters and things like that. You you lose something in portability, um, but you know, oftentimes those are digital ready as well. So. You know, it all depends on your use case, I suppose. But you know that that sort of lower end handy talkie and mobile is is kind of where everybody starts. It's certainly where I started.
2: Yeah, I um, jeez, I'm trying to remember what was. it? I actually had a yeah, my first uh, my first ham radio VHF radio uh, would have been an, a mobile unit because I had had one for um, for civil air patrol, and I think I had a handy talkie as well. I'm trying to remember what that. I'm was. I'm pretty sure
0: I had like an HTX two hundred two and. Well, maybe some really early mobile rig that I wouldn't even remember what it was. But
2: yeah, I had an Asden. I had an Asden, I think, 5,000, 4,000, or 5,000. And then it got struck by lightning. And then I got a new <laughs> Asden. Thanks to uh, Allstate of Florida.
0: <laughs> See, I got into the hobby to use it from CB radio. So the the entry that I wanted to get into was using all those old CB radios that did that it could be converted for ten meters, like the president, oh. the presidents, and the Cobras and, and stuff like that. Um, I never actually wound up with one of those. I went to a full blown ham radio when I actually bought one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that was the way I wanted to get into it. Never never actually happened. So.
2: Yeah, my first uh, my first HF rig was uh yeah, basically something that nobody wanted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got it I got it for a steal. It was uh it was it was a Heathkit SB104A and uh it was a finicky little pain in the butt. Uh, but it uh I eventually got it all working and it was a fun experiment in uh in getting old stuff to work. And I really, I still have a soft spot in my heart for the SB-104 line just because I thought they were so sexy. <laughs> and I really, I really wanted that SB-230 amplifier. I really wanted that to go with it. Um But I never actually acquired one. My friend had one and we used it at field day and I tried to bribe him to get it, but then but then i didn't get it but uh but yeah i started with that and then i had a i actually had the the next rig i bought was the dx70 th which you've borrowed
0: (laughs) yes i certainly have because it has six meters yeah it has (laughs) six
2: meters yeah and i still have it and it still works it was my first rig i was actually on uh on the digital modes with uh yeah and it it takes the signal link into the microphone adapter, so if that tells you uh how incapable it is of digital radio, it worked fine <laughs> and you used it on six meters and uh, yeah, I think I gave you the cable and everything for the dX for the signal link. Did you ever use a signal link on it?
0: i did yes okay. I, have, I have my own signal links here but i mean i yeah i did I the use that way. Stuff, yeah, yeah, yep.
2: yeah so so yeah so yeah it doesn't even require new new equipment i mean some people would argue that yeah you need to have you know some serious txco crystal oscillator to ensure that your frequency stability is so
0: perfect and stuff like that
2: it's like nah not really
0: you i know. don't know half the people i see on hf are operating <laughs> half off frequency anyway so <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean
2: you know you know you know i'm if it works, it works. So that's the that's a nice part about ham radio is that uh, it's amazing how stuff that is not you know cat controlled and all this other stuff doesn't have a USB port on the back. You know this stuff still works. There's no reason why you can't use it, and uh, um, I would still much rather have my SB104 up here on my table than uh, than the radios I have just because it looks pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you absolutely do not have to go i mean unless you've just got a pocket full of money that's burning a hole in it you you absolutely do not have to go to the top end out- out of the gate and actually there's something to be said for for doing things like on the cheap with the with the low end and putting things together and making it work you You learn more that way rather than having a you know a ninety seven hundred sitting in front of you that that does everything you know for you and you know takes six weeks to read the instruction manual that kind of thing but <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: or, or flip through all the menus in a
0: yazoo radio right it's yeah like, exactly. <laughs> oh, which
2: which sub menu is this under the sub menu of sub menu and how did they abbreviate it
0: yeah spend yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars on a rig that you'll never use the features of you know
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i like the simplicity of the less knobs and stuff like that the better and you know if it just works with a few extra pushing of buttons it's it makes it makes it so much a so much of a better experience in general.
0: Yeah, the first the first amateur radio HF rig that I ever owned was a Kenwood TS570D, which is a perfect entry level easy to use, you know, barefoot radio and that is the radio I still have. I mean, I I did buy one new one, <laughs> but um I still use that 570 because even though the thing is god was going to be pushing 25 years old now yeah Um, it still still operates perfect every day that i want to use hf so
2: yeah so uh, yeah you don't have to listen to your crazy friends or somebody that says oh you gotta have the latest greatest radio with all the bells and whistles and a waterfall and all the pretty graphics on the front and stuff like that you don't need it you really don't need it (laughs) uh, i mean if you're an advanced user you might think you need it but uh in general um, money is better spent on an antenna and a feed line than it is on your radio. I guess <laughs> you're okay. going to get more bang for the buck out of your antenna, which is a great way to segue into antennas away from radios because we don't really want to get into radios too much more. I think, I think we've covered the gist of what you should do look for for a radio.
0: I, I think so too. I mean, just, it 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 takes so little to get into it and honestly the the entry level doesn't make it bad. It just, you know, I think you learn more and I think you appreciate it more if you don't start off with the, the latest and greatest. So but yes, I mean where where you get all your signal is through your antenna. The radio the radio is probably like what, five percent of the the cat the, ca- the uh, calculation when it when it comes to making contacts.
2: Yeah, you can buy a six thousand dollar flex radio. And then shove it into, yeah, a really poorly installed <laughs> What's essentially poorly a built antenna yeah. and literally <laughs> reduce it down to pennies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth anything because you just plugged it into something that is absolutely no way of performing um in any way. And, yeah, well, so we're talking about antennas. Um, we did list some starter antennas here as a vertical and a J pole. And those are going to be your VHF and UHF antennas. Obviously by default, uh, most people think of those as their antennas. So like when you're, you get your handy talk, you have the little rubber ducky and, uh, you know, you can. Plug in an adapter and some feed line and actually use a mag mount, which uh, gives you more range because the antenna is full size or larger size. Maybe it's a quarter wave, half wave, five eighths wave or something like that and can get your signal out a little bit further with the same amount of power. Uh, The same thing is, uh, you know, very true when you uh, have an antenna at your house. a J-pole is another antenna you can actually buy commercial J-poles, but there are many, many friendly designs of building your own J-pole. Um, a lot of clubs build them uh, as kind of like an entry-level build-your-own-antenna thing. I see that quite often, and a lot of people showing off their J-poles. I have an Arrow J-pole, which is a commercially built J-pole. And that's what I use for VHF and UHF when I decide to actually plug it in. <laughs> so um so those are great starter antennas. Uh for HF purposes, a good starter antenna would be a dipole. Um uh I actually almost throw an N Fed half wave into that starter antenna just because it's all banded. Um you can buy commercial versions of an N Fed half wave. And, uh, you know, it says it does 80 to 10 without a tuner, but, you know, we all know better. You definitely want to have a tuner on that antenna. Um, Yeah, and then as you progress from there, you know, you, you oh, you got to have a beam and you got to have this and you got to have that. And it really depends on what you want to do in the hobby and how far you want to communicate. And then, you know, there'll be discussions, especially when you're in the VHF and UHF. You know, uh, do you want to do weak signal stuff? Are you looking for long-distance contacts on VHF and UHF? And uh, this would be the non-FM variety, although some people do some FM skip or some tropospheric ducting with FM. I mean, a lot of people get involved in single sideband and CW and as well the FT modes, the digital modes on VHF, UHF, SHF, and all that other HF things up high. And they're using directional antennas, you know, multi-element to give you all that gain uh, to make your uh, your signal go out further. Because as you add more elements, it uh, bumps up the gain both uh, out and back. So you get more receptive signal and you get more transmit power uh, effectively radiating from that antenna. Uh, you'll probably hear people say uh, what uh, ERP, right? Effective radiating power. Yeah, you can spend a whole
0: uh, lot of time figuring that stuff out, too.
2: Yeah, (laughs) whole lots of maths, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, coax losses, connector losses, you know, and then you just have to add it all up. And then you're like, oh, where am I balance at, you know, and I should have should I have bought, you know, the bigger coax cable uh, for this run because I didn't realize I was going to run my, you know, UHF. Antenna, uh, you know, two hundred foot from my shack, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then I bought RG8X to uh to try to connect it to it, and I can't hear anything, and the repeater can't hear me now. Yeah, there are, there are things like that, and there's legitimate maths that need to occur uh to make those kind of decisions successful, and uh and as a beginner, you need to respect that that. You know, if if you have a mentor or friends in your group or community that say, yeah, yeah, you can't put your antenna that far away from the house or else you'll have to buy, you know, hardline or something like that. They're probably not lying to you, <laughs> you know, just because it's copper doesn't mean it's going to it's going to keep your signal uh, intact for that long and distance. Um You know, with HF, it's much more forgiving. There's, you know, the losses down in baseband are they're pretty pretty marginal, unless you're really talking excessively long runs of coax and stuff like that. But, you know, your antenna system includes everything from the back of your radio to the sky. So you need to always consider the coax, your connectors, and your actual antenna and the structure it's built on, if it's built on anything, or maybe it's a tree hung in a tree or whatever. All of that (laughs) is your antenna. So ensuring that you're getting the best signal out to your antenna does require some of those masks that you know we had in that test that you had to take that maybe we just glossed over because we memorized all the answers. But it's definitely worth going back and looking at, gee, you know, what, what should the element length be? And should I be concerned about, you know, my antennas and its proximity to metal objects? Oh, I have the steel steel building as my awesome ham radio shed, but uh, maybe I shouldn't have an antenna sticking right next to it um, because it's going to do some weird stuff and possibly get RF back into my shack. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just so many ways we can go with antennas as well. So it's one of those topics that is a whole topic upon itself. But don't be afraid to to look at more antenna setups than you consider buying. <laughs> because knowing, you know, knowing the the, the, the pitfalls and, and and the actual yeah, I don't know how to, how to put that, right? Um understanding what somebody else went through to get that to be installed is always kind of an interesting thing to me is uh you know I, I you know i see a you know a monster vertical or something like that and it's like wow that's really cool what did that take to get up in the air <laughs> you know uh you know that you know, i look for things that are easy to do because like if you i mean you could be you might be in a community where you have lots of people that can help you build an antenna or put one up and stuff like that but some people are out there on their own right this little noob guy that we're talking about here is you know probably on his own and you know thinking about putting up an antenna and this is got to be something you can put up by yourself so don't bite off more than you can chew and you know don't be afraid to try something smaller in order to just get something to try out and get on the air um and, and I, you know, I wouldn't be worried what it is. I've built all kinds of stuff. My side yard is full of half-built antennas and projects and stuff like that. That, oh, I saw this in a magazine. I wanted to try it and I just tried building it and stuff like that. Um, it, and it's, it's, it's cool. You can do that. That's a nice part about, uh, you know, electronics, right? You just have to have a positive side and a negative side and you just have to make electrically the right length. And then, you know, Shazam, it'll actually uh, radiate. <laughs> it might not radiate well, but it will radiate and i have a lot of those antennas that i've i have put on the air once and that was it
0: <laughs> i haven't built too many antennas but honestly there's so many resources you can search for on the internet and the the art of putting together you know decently radiating antennas out of essentially spare parts is is something that's prolific i mean you can even just having pieces of random wire around or a couple of a couple of lengths of copper tubing and some nuts and bolts i mean you can you can make an antenna out of almost anything. You don't have to go for the, you know, $600 pre-made yeah, multiband vertical or whatever. You don't you don't have to do anything like that. And size isn't necessarily an issue either. It's it's how well does it radiate on the on the frequencies that you want it to radiate on. And uh just because you bought something expensive doesn't mean you know how to set it up right or that it's going to work effectively or anything like that. So, um e- any avenue you can take to to learning a little bit about antennas, doing a little bit of the math, and uh, putting things together with your own two hands will certainly help as uh, someone new to the hobby.
2: And don't be about, don't be afraid to buy used either, um, except for trapped things. Be careful of traps;
0: <laughs> they can traps fail. are traps.
2: Yes, yeah. Yes. So you need to inspect those. And I would have somebody, uh, well, you know, at least if you know who you're buying from, and you know that it's it works, <laughs> and they're just upgrading or whatever. But, uh, yeah, you do have to be suspect of some, some items just because they're, they're being notorious for problems. And there are resources again, you can check out that may or may not have valid comments in them. I'm thinking like, uh, what EHAM has a bunch of, you know, reviews and stuff like that on random, you know, ham radio things, including antennas and stuff like that but like if you sift through all the things it's kind of like looking through the amazon reviews you know you toss out all the really like oh it's the greatest thing ever and you just toss those out and you toss out the ones it exploded as soon as i plugged it in those are not you know those are not good the one stars and the five stars go and you look at all the the 2 3 and 4s and generally you can get a good feel for how something performs and even ages if it's something older like I run a, uh, a butternut HF9V here, um, that I bought used from someone for 200 bucks. But, uh, we we're just talking, talking to somebody about it. I think maybe it was Jim, uh, and, uh, it's like a $900 antenna now or something like that. And it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't pay $900 for it, but. Maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> it's that antenna that keeps surprising me every time I I did it. like we, we just were I just worked you what like on we three bands right in a row boom boom boom. <laughs> so it's like it's so painless to to use the antenna. Uh, but yeah, I was I bought it from a ham that uh had actually two of them and I should have bought both of them. Uh <laughs> so I could have spare parts. Um yeah, it was just basically changing out and doing a different thing with antennas and you know, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And I went there, I took it Down so I could see how it comes down, and I could see how he had it installed. And I used basically exactly how he had it installed. I kind of set up the same setup in my backyard, and I put it back up the way it came down. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got that antenna, what, 10 years ago? So, I mean, I, I was pretty experienced with putting up antennas and stuff like that. But I still, I I, I look at it, I, I study it, <laughs> I was like, I want to make sure I don't screw this up. Because, uh, you know, some of these antennas are, uh, you know, kind of complex in their design and tuning and stuff like that. And uh, when you get into more complex antennas, like the, this one's a complex one because it's it's nine banded, so it's got a lot of lot of pieces and 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 uh, coils and and wires and everything else. And it's important that you understand, you know, how that all all sort of works. And uh, uh I think that's all part of understanding the antennas, not just going out and oh, I bought something out of a catalog. Is like you should you should take a little extra time and really study exactly what you're getting into. And understand how it works, how it, how you install it, how you tune it, how you maintain it. Because, I mean, once you put up the antenna, it doesn't mean you ignore it until one day it dies. Uh, you know, some antennas you want to take down in the winter and, and do some maintenance on. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe those trap holes need to be sealed, you know, so they don't get snow in them and stuff like that. Uh, maybe the wind is blowing around and your, you know, your drip edges are now on the top and on the bottom. So your drips are no longer dripping. They're just basically creating piles of ice and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, you should understand that, you know, it's, it's something that does need to be maintained. It's not something that's going to just work magically forever and then one day, you know, oh. Okay. I just replace it. It's disposable. Um, they're, they're definitely not. They're definitely not. Except for trapped antennas. No, just kidding.
0: <laughs> You're dissing on I, my trapped antenna.
2: I know. I know. I know. I have traps that I've had forever too, but I have, I have run into a few over the years <laughs> that's like, why isn't this working? Oh, the traps burned. <laughs> it's got, had some arcs and sparks inside. You got to kind of investigate that stuff. Got to do a little MacGyvering to, uh, to bring those back to life um but yeah, yeah there's yeah a million different antennas uh again i think we've recommended in the past uh you know get get a book on antennas or or, or at minimal get a uh, get a Oh, uh, the, uh, well, what's
0: the big guide? I can't remember the big guide. Isn't it just like the ARRL antenna book or something like that?
2: Well, the antenna book is the Bible for antennas. I, I consider it the Bible for antennas. Um, but there's also the, uh, the, the handbook. Yeah. The ARRL handbook, another ARRL product, uh, that has an antenna section in it that, that is comprehensive and, and definitely builds you into those details so you can understand that, uh, yeah, it does take a little bit more understanding and effort in antenna design and installation. Um all those items are important and they will make you look less of a look like less of a noob if you actually understand just a just a smidge of that, that information. Um so you can speak competently about your antenna setup uh with someone that maybe is inquiring. Because, you know, you never know. You, you got people that Are interested, oh you got you got that antenna. Huh? How's that working for you? How hard was that to put up? And you can have these discussions and then all of a sudden you're not the noob, you're the you're the mentor. You're gonna be mentoring them on the their next antenna purchase.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's a and uh getting into those conversations with other people is uh a little like finding your community, and there's communities built around amateur radio antennas as well as every other aspect of the hobby too. Did you see how awesome that segue was? That was awesome. (laughs) I knew you were gonna do that too.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the last part here that we want to kind of throw the, throw the bow around here and, uh, send this your way is that, yeah, finding your community, um, Linux and the Hampshire is a community. We have a community group that meets on discord all the time and they talk all the time. And, uh, once in a while they're here live when we don't record at really odd times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you, your community could be, could be anywhere. It could be on discord. It could be on the radio it could be down the street at the club. Yeah, uh, you never know. It, there's uh there's just so many places that you can find like-minded individuals. Um they might not always be in a random Reddit post, um or at Eham review or comments on a QRZ forum posting. So don't be don't be discouraged by the haters and the naysayers. And the people that have nothing better to do than troll other people. Um, There's th- a community I think like that all- is right for you.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, like in most cases, those people are the vocal minority. But I think overall, you're going to find like minded people who are willing to help you learn, willing to teach, willing to be taught as well. And uh yeah, you just just ignore the vocal minority. I mean, they're out there they they try and get under your skin, they try to troll, they try to do all those evil things, but it's just as easy to ignore them, and usually, if you do, they just kind of go away,
2: yeah, yeah, well, we always say just don't feed the trolls, so don't 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 even bother responding
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um yeah yeah yeah, so yeah if you if you if you're not finding your community, you can always come to us, and we'll we'll help you. We'll help you out because you know, we have a pretty good group of people that hang out in our chat rooms and stuff like that. And, and, uh, yeah, and they're definitely connected to other groups as well. So there's, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, people in various stages of the hobby, you know, from a non-amateurs to amateurs that have, have been the hobby for a long time to some that have, you know, only been licensed for a year or less. So, um, there's a community for you and, uh, hopefully. Yeah, you know, with a little, a little bit of help and information and mentoring and stuff like that, you know, you'll, you'll be helping the next generation or the next, uh, the next group of newbies that come along in and, uh, help them on their way to, uh, you know, finding their place in the community.
0: Absolutely. And I will stress again that if you, if you're having trouble finding your community and you're listening to this and you're aware of our podcast, absolutely drop us a line and we will do our very best to point you in the right direction. We have. We have over the last, you know, 15 years built something of a community for ourselves, and uh, we we have the, the the haters have all seemed to gone away, and uh, we just have a bunch of nice people who are working on a lot of different projects doing a lot of different interesting things in the hobby uh some high profile people in the hobby as well and everybody is attached to quite a few resources so if you need some help please let us know and we'll do what we can to uh, point you in the right direction
2: cool well that's all i have i think that that's perfect
0: all right that's all i got too All right, so hopefully that was at least a little bit interesting, a little bit entertaining, and uh, maybe even a little bit informative. That's that's what we try and do around here. So appreciate you listening. But before we get out of here, we do have a couple of pieces of feedback we want to talk about. I'll do the first one, and I'll let Bill handle the second one because uh, I've already responded to Dan. So
2: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I I replied to him on Discord. I don't think he's seen it yet, but anyway, uh, there was a YouTube comment. You're you're getting a lot of feedback on that. Uh, youtube video you did about building the distro with cubic and this is another response to that from the gen x gamer guy who says great tool would love to have zsh and a lot of other things installed by default also remove a lot of bloatware. nice we'll try after copy today so looks like he's going to try and build his own ubuntu distro with cubic so that's cool nice <laughs> he's not telling you to do that i think he's saying he's going to do it so oh good because i'm not
2: doing it yeah well. <laughs> you get what you get and you dump through a fit right <laughs>
0: absolutely so but thanks for the feedback we appreciate it and thanks for checking out the video also so and then uh dan decided kb6 and you decided to respond to our episode about um well it, it was a our short topics episode the last one where we talked a little about a little bit about remote contesting or remote d expeditions and uh, we had we each had some thoughts to say about that and he responded to those so do you want to address that at all yeah
2: sure uh just briefly he had a yeah his original post was is this the beginning of the end for CW DXing?" and uh of course he excoriated us No, (laughs) but if that makes you go and check out the blog post go check out the blog post we love dan (laughs) so (laughs) yeah he did clarify his point a couple of places and uh definitely answered uh even talked about uh the topic of rust wanted to talk about which was landing well when i asked Russell, if you'd work a piece of machinery that we landed on an island with some batteries and uh, Starlink and FT8, and you said you would not be too excited about that.
0: I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying I would not sure you insight. would. Oh, it's rare <laughs> DX,
2: <laughs> but yeah, there's something, yeah, something about it. So uh, anyway, it's a fun, uh, fun topic. And yeah, we definitely need to get Dan on here just so we can uh, just him a little bit just for fun. Cause it would just be cool. So <laughs> we'll get him on here soon soon enough. And uh, we'll talk about, I'm sure some glorious random topic.
0: Uh, yeah, that would be a lot of fun be nice to have somebody on the show. We haven't had anybody on the show and maybe our year end wrap up would be a good place to bring him on just to have a, his, uh, you know, five minutes to, uh, oh, yeah. to, to actually excoriate us. Yes, we <laughs> should
2: definitely send him out an invite for that.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I just put a link to that into the show notes, his, his blog post. So That will be there for anybody who wants to follow up and read it. And I have been responding to Dan on Discord again. So if you're a Discord user, you join our Discord for sure. And uh, you can see me talking to Dan or you can talk to Dan too. Maybe you have thoughts about his thoughts on CW and remote de-expeditions and contesting and so on all right so we're down to new subscribers supporters and live participants which there are very few of because these recordings came pretty close together so it is what it is so we've got nothing except for a youtube subscriber bob smith so that's that's as generic as it gets bob smith joins us on youtube welcome (laughs) bob yes welcome bob there (laughs) there weren't any people even on discord tonight because apparently everybody's in bed so (laughs) yes
2: yes we're recording late late on a a bit late yes it's a monday it's a monday it's a monday of the week it is i'm already already messed up here i got the whole week ahead of me right
0: (laughs) yeah same here let's see what happens when they throw a holiday in everybody gets screwed up so
2: yeah
0: yeah (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, that does take us down to the end of the show. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope we found this informative and at least a little bit entertaining. And with that, we'll go ahead and get on out of here and let you get on about the business of your day. And don't forget to tune in to the next episode, 492, which will be a short topics episode. And then we will have our year-end wrap-up and you know, weekender episode 493 before we go on break. It'll be our last two recordings, the next two, of 2022. So please tune in for those. And in the meantime, have a great week, and we hope we'll catch you all very, very soon. This has been episode number 491 of Linux in the Hamshack. For the On Assignment Cheryl, W5MOO, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode
1: of Linux in the Shack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com/lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at infolhspodcast.info at or leave us a voicemail. At 1909-LHS show. That's 909 547 7469 Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.